0: Το έκανε και και τούτο προλαγών e Ο You're listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Backus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand the Biblical text. On today's episode, I'm going to share the story of the discovery of the Codex Sinaiticus and how it came to be shared with the world. The Codex is one of the earliest Bibles currently known. I will also take a look at the Codex itself, the manuscript, and share some of its features. If you're a student of the Bible, it's worth knowing about the Codex Sinaiticus, and my hope is that it may inspire you to explore the world of the biblical manuscripts. I shared in a prior episode that the Codex Sinaiticus is one of two codices of Bibles dated to the 4th century A.D. There is no biblical codex older than that that has yet been discovered. The codex was discovered at St. Catherine Monastery at Mount Sinai in Egypt in 1859 by German biblical scholar Constantine von Tischendorf and therefore named the Codex Sinaiticus. There seems to be consensus among scholars that the Codex was not produced at St. Catherine. Asia Minor, Caesarea on the coast of Israel, and Egypt have been proposed as possibilities for where it might have been produced. It is unknown how long the Codex had resided at St. Catherine at the time of its discovery, perhaps hundreds of years. The monastery was built in the 6th century A.D., so that is the earliest conceivable date. Konstantin von Tischendorf was a man on a quest to touch history. Biblical scholar Bart Ehrman, in his blog, ermanblog.org, gives us a bit of background about the man. He writes, Tischendorf was an inordinately ardent scholar who saw his work on the text of the New Testament as a sacred, divinely ordained task. As he once wrote to his fiancée, while still in his early twenties, "I am confronted with a sacred task, the struggle to regain the original form of the New Testament." This sacred task he sought to fulfill by locating every manuscript tucked away in every library and monastery that he could find. He made several trips throughout Europe and into the East, finding transcribing, and publishing manuscripts wherever he went. Tischendorf journeyed to Egypt in 1844 in search of manuscripts. Shortly before embarking, he had earned international recognition when he deciphered the Codex Ephremi Rescriptus, a 5th century Greek manuscript of the New Testament. Tischendorf himself wrote about his exploits. It's a treat when researching ancient subjects and discoveries to have the opportunity to hear about them directly from the one who made the discovery. So let us hear about the discovery of Codex Sinaiticus from Tischendorf himself. It is in his 1862 memoir called From the Holy Land that he speaks about his discovery. The memoir is written in German, so naturally I'll be reading a translation. Tischendorf writes, It was in April 1844 that I embarked at Leghorn for Egypt. The desire which I felt to discover some precious remains of any manuscripts, more especially biblical, of a date which would carry us back to the early times of Christianity was realized beyond my expectations. It was at the foot of Mount Sinai, in the convent of St. Catherine, that I discovered the pearl of all my research. In visiting the library of the monastery in the month of May, 1844, I perceived in the middle of the great hall a large and wide basket full of old parchments. And the librarian, who was a man of information, told me that two heaps of papers like this "'moldered by time, had been already committed to the flames. "'What was my surprise to find amid this heap of papers "'a considerable number of sheets of a copy "'of the Old Testament in Greek, "'which seemed to me to be one of the most ancient "'I had ever seen. "'The authorities of the convent allowed me to possess myself "'of a third of these parchments, or about forty-five sheets,' all the more readily as they were destined for the fire. But I could not get them to yield up possession of the remainder. The too lively satisfaction which I had displayed had aroused their suspicions as to the value of this manuscript. I transcribed a page of the text of Isaiah and Jeremiah and enjoined on the monks to take religious care of all such remains which might fall in their way. Tischendorf left the monastery disappointed that he was not able to gain full access to the collection of parchments. He returned to Europe to regroup and to set his mind on how he might return to the monastery and make another attempt. Having acquired the patronage of the Russian Tsar Alexander II, Tischendorf returned to the Middle East to try his luck again at Mount Sinai. He writes... By the end of the month of January 1859, I had reached the convent of Mount Sinai. The mission, with which I was entrusted, entitled me to expect every consideration and attention. The prior, on saluting me, expressed a wish that I might succeed in discovering fresh supports for the truth. His kind expression of goodwill was verified even beyond his expectations. After having devoted a few days in turning over the manuscripts of the convent, not without alighting here and there on some precious parchment or other, I told my Bedouins on the 4th of February to hold themselves in readiness to set out with their dromedaries for Cairo on the 7th, when an entirely unexpected circumstance carried me at once to the goal of all my desires. On the afternoon of this day, I was taking a walk with the steward of the convent in the neighborhood, and as we returned towards sunset, he begged me to take some refreshment with him in his cell. Scarcely had he entered the room. When, resuming our former subject of conversation, he said, And I too have read a Septuagint, copy of the Greek translation made by the Seventy, and so saying he took down from the corner of the room a bulky kind of volume wrapped up in a reed cloth and laid it before me. I unrolled the cover and discovered, to my great surprise, not only those very fragments which 15 years before I had taken out of the basket, but also other parts of the Old Testament, the New Testament complete and, in addition, the epistle of Barnabas and a part of the shepherd of Hermas. Full of joy, which this time I had the self-command to conceal from the steward and the rest of the community, I asked, as if in a careless way, for permission to take the manuscript into my sleeping chamber to look over it more at leisure. There, by myself, I could give way to the transport of joy which I felt, I knew that I held in my hand the most precious biblical treasure in existence, a document whose age and importance exceeded that of all the manuscripts which I had ever examined during 20 years' study of the subject. I cannot now, I confess, recall all the emotions which I felt in that exciting moment with such a diamond in my possession." Tischendorf was given permission to remain at St. Catherine to copy the manuscript. He spent two months transcribing the text. He was not given free access, but given eight leaves at a time, and he worked as fast as he could with the help of assistants, two local men, and in addition, a medical doctor and a druggist. The product of this effort was unsatisfactory to Tischendorf, and so it is said that Tischendorf devised a promising scheme. He wanted to take the Codex with him back to Europe. Before I continue the story, I must credit New Testament scholar, teacher, and vicar from England, Frederick Scrivener. Scrivener was a contemporary of Tischendorf, and in 1864, he published a compilation of the Codex. In his introduction, he tells the story of the discovery and provides data about the Codex itself. According to Scrivener, Tischendorf proposed to the monks that a complete and proper copy of the Codex would be a worthy gift of honor for the Russian Tsar Alexander II, who was patron to both the Sinai monks and to Tischendorf. He wanted permission to remove the Codex from the monastery and return to Europe with it, where he might complete his copying. At that time, he could not get the proper permissions. The Archbishop of the Sinai had died. Appeal was then made to other hierarchs, and on September 28, 1859, Tischendorf was provisionally entrusted with the Codex for the purpose of preparing a correct copy of its contents. The Sinai hierarchs had every expectation that Tischendorf would return the Codex to the monastery after his work of copying was complete. A few months later, Tischendorf presented the Codex to Tsar Alexander II at St. Petersburg. The Tsar, on being presented with the Codex, commissioned Tischendorf to make 300 copies of the Codex to appear in 1862 as a memorial to the thousandth anniversary of his kingdom. Tischendorf, having been given his charge by Tsar Alexander, then took the manuscript to Leipzig in May 1860. A special printing press type was cast for Tischendorf's edition of the manuscript. By 1862, Scrivener reports that the manuscript returned to St. Petersburg, and remained in the possession of Tsar Alexander II. The Codex was never returned to St. Catherine Monastery, save a few leaves which eventually were returned. It remained in Russia, preserved in the Russian National Library, for over 70 years. Then, in 1933, the Soviets sold the Codex to the British Museum for a 100,000 pounds, raised, at least in part, by public subscription. The Codex still resides at the British Museum, now called the British Library. At least, most of it does. The Codex is currently split into four portions. 347 leaves remain in the British Library in London, 43 leaves in the Leipzig University Library, Fragments of six leaves are preserved in the Russian National Library in St. Petersburg, and 12 leaves and 45 fragments are kept at St. Catherine Monastery. Let's turn to the features of the Codex itself. Scrivener's 1864 account includes a general description of the Codex, but much has been learned about the Codex since then. The Codex Sinaiticus Project is an international collaboration of scholars and manuscript scientists joined together in the work of digitizing the Codex. Their website is my source for current data on the Codex. In Scrivener's account, he writes that the Codex was then comprised of 345 and a half leaves. Today, the Codex is comprised of over 400 leaves. In 1975, during the course of a renovation project at St. Catherine, previously unknown parts of the codex were discovered in a chamber underneath St. George's Chapel. Each leaf of the codex measures 380 millimeters high by 345 millimeters wide. Microscopic analysis has revealed that the vellum leaves of the codex are sourced from cows and sheep. The leaves are very fine in quality. They are exceptionally uniform in thinness and are supple and flexible. They also have few visual blemishes. This is consistent with Scrivener's analysis. He refers to the codex as crafted from a quote, very fine and beautiful vellum, unquote. Conservators today write that the creation and crafting of Codex Sinaiticus was of a very high quality. It was a well-resourced enterprise. Great care was taken in animal selection, and it was constructed with great delicacy and finesse. The condition of the Codex is exceptional for its age. There are fascinating details on the Codex Sinaiticus Project website about vellum parchment from how the animals would have been selected to how the skins were prepared. If you're interested in the craft of ancient bookmaking, enjoy the details provided at CodexSynaticus.org. The writing on most leaves is in four columns. Each column has 48 lines with 12 to 14 letters per line. The leaves of the poetic Old Testament books, however, are in two columns. Some examples of these lyrical books are Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. There are more lines and letters per column on the two-column leaves than on the four-column leaves. The letters are all capitals called uncials. There are no spaces between words and very few marks of punctuation. The Codex is written in Greek The Old Testament books are written in Septuagint Greek, the Greek translation from the original Hebrew, and the New Testament books are also written in Greek. Most of the Old Testament books are missing from the Codex. Those that are included are From the Torah, Only fragments of Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. From the Prophets, only fragments of Joshua and Judges. Then, the complete books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and nine of the twelve prophets from the Scroll of the Twelve. Excluded are Hosea, Amos, and Micah. From the writings, there are fragments of 1 Chronicles and Lamentations, and the complete books included are Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. And from the Apocrypha, we have parts of two Esdras, and the complete books included are Tobit, Judith, 1 and 4 Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, and Sirach. All the New Testament books are included in the Codex, although there are verses missing in various books compared to other biblical manuscripts. You can now view the entire manuscript of the Codex Sinaiticus on the Codex Sinaiticus Project website. You can scroll through, zoom in and out of the leaves. You can try and follow the Greek. There is a translator feature that accompanies the manuscript, which helps a lot. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the Codex Sinaiticus. It's been called the World's Oldest Bible. It seems to me that students of the Bible should have some basic knowledge of the original manuscripts. They are important reminders that the Bible was not written in English, and it was not written as a paperback might be written today. Let us consider these factors as we make an effort to hear its story and consider what lessons we might take from it to apply today. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.